I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to Resource Real Talk About Real Estate. I'm Gabe Pruitt. And I'm Jay Pitts. And today's episode is titled, Winter is Coming? Question mark. Uh, what, what does that even mean, Jay? What, what do you want to talk about today? Winter is coming? Winter is coming? Question? Yeah, yeah. a little, little upswing there for our NLP fans. There you go. Um, winter is coming, Gabe. Winter's coming. I, I don't know about you, man. I'm a Game of Thrones fan. Big time, yeah. Big time Game of Thrones fan. It, and we're in the midst of a pretty epic season so far. I'm not caught up, so don't don't spoil no, anything I for me. I won't. I'm still on last um, season. I'm, I'm doing that thing where like the episode ends on Sunday night, and I'm like, gosh, I really got to wait a whole nother week. Yeah. Like it should be, and it will be, prognostication. We should be able to binge watch anything i think so too imagine being a book reader who's upset that the book's not even out yet that's that's yeah, where this I'm is true at. this is true i no, I, I i'm having that thing and obviously if you're a fan of the show you know the reference right the, the the title to today's episode winter is coming is is not something that i just came up with or that you came up with gabe it's something actually that one of the you know heads of our industry uh referenced in an address to all of his agents. And when I say his agents, I, I'm speaking about Gary Keller, the founder of Keller Williams. Now, you know, we're Remax agents, but Keller Williams is a great company. Uh, Dave Linegar, Gary Keller, there's only just a handful of these type of influential people in any one industry. And so when these people speak, you listen. Okay, so now in 2016, Keller Williams' uh, annual convention is called Family Reunion. And they had a pretty big contingent as normally happens at these conventions when the market is good. More people go to conventions because they're making more money. Imagine that. So they can afford to go to places like Las Vegas or New Orleans or San Francisco and go to these big conferences. Well, anyway, Gary, in his address to his agents, said that winter is coming. And I think I think what he had in mind with this winter is coming statement is that just what we want to talk about today, and that's this too shall pass. So not necessarily that there's a major market shifting event on the horizon, no. but that, you know, what we're used to now is not the new normal. No. Well, there are some new normals, Gabe, but what I will say short of like us having to like, like a nuclear strike <laughs> shot out of the air right. from North Korea, not a political show. And we won't go there. We're, we're, we don't have any market shift that's coming imminently. But this market will not last. Okay. It's easy. And, you know, we talked about the danger report. You know, we've talked about millennials. We've talked about all these, these dynamics that affect our industry. And I think it's just safe to say that there's a lot of people out there, professionals and consumers alike, that don't know what the other side of the coin looks like. Yeah. So, so this, this shortage of inventory, double digit, you know, price appreciation on an annual basis, multiple offers, you know, under appraisals, things like that, that are dynamics developing 
throughout both coastal and Midwestern, you know, heart heartland markets. They're just, they're not here to stay completely. And that makes sense because you've also got a lot of young agents and people in the business like myself who weren't around when the market was really, really bad and had to find a way to make their business thrive through that. For me, the biggest trouble I've ever encountered was the inventory shortage that we've dealt with over the past year. And some people would probably scoff at that, people that were in the business in 08, 09. So. Well, so so you you have buyers that can't buy because they can't find anything. Or when they find it, it's already gone. Or when they find it, it's already gone. And that, that frustration of spinning your wheels, that, that um, you know, going to bed at night, not knowing if your offer is going to get accepted because there were 42 other people seeing the house that day. That's not, that's not exactly normal. Now, one thing I can tell you, Gabe, is it goes just as far in the other direction. Okay. When I got into the business and that's one of the things I pride myself on, you know, is navigating difficult markets. My entire career has been spent in an abnormal market. Okay. From extreme to extreme. Okay. I got licensed in 2004 during a boom. Okay. I spent several years in the mortgage industry under a boom. Then I got into real estate right in, just in time for the bottom to fall out. Yeah. Great timing. So the, the first five listings I ever took never got a single showing. Wow. First five listings. Okay. So my point is that's a stark contrast to what we're experiencing here today. Okay, we're nowhere near that kind of market, but yet some people are out there expecting that they put a sign in the yard and they've got an offer sitting on their desk by the time they get to the office. That is not real estate. So we shouldn't get used to that because that's happening a lot. Absolutely. Shouldn't get used to it. It's not that is not a new normal. There should be more of a balanced inventory. I do believe, however, that somewhat of an inventory shortage will be a new normal. Just not one month supply. Two months supply, three months supply in the middle of winter. Yeah, right when 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 demand dies off, like it doesn't, it, it's not going to continue. And that's a good point because I think a lot of our listeners understand the basic principles of supply and demand. But what are the kind of things other than just the simple nature of the market that are going to make these changes happen? Why do we think we're going to fall out of the market we're in now? So, number one, the millennial generation, which drives the marketplace. Okay, is going to eventually they're going to exhaust their purchasing demand. Yeah, I mean, that won't last forever. It won't last forever. So whether it's two years, three years, 10 years, at some point in time, the majority of millennials that will be homeowners will have bought. Now, we talked about the fact that they're going to turn over faster and eventually that action of supply and demand normalization will will take hold. So as many millennials will be sellers as there were buyers. And what that should do is have a balancing effect, which should be actually good for the market. Should be actually good for the market for to slow down a little bit. Now, winter is coming just basically means that it will get bad again. It will get bad again. We're poised for significant GDP growth this year in the United States, which should do nothing but help. But it should also signify that the party's over on cheap interest rates. Now, I, I believe the days of 9, 10, 12% interest, we'll never see those again. Hopefully not. The, the, the deck is stacked 
okay, on 6% or lower interest rates. But right. The days of 3% interest rates are also probably over. Yeah, bummer. Okay, so so if you've got your 30-year fixed and you're never going to move again and you financed at 2.87%, like count yourself lucky. You're golden. And never sell that house. Just keep it as a rental if you decide to move up. But, you know, some other things, Gabe, that that signify some changing is what we're starting to see in the real estate investing market is we're starting to see acceptable rates of return be significantly lower than they ever have been before. Okay, we're starting to see economies of scale take over in real estate investing like we've never seen before. So um, we talked we talked about in our episode about the millennial generation, about the dynamic between the baby boomers, you know, roughly 60, 65 million. And actually um, I said 65 million on that episode. I've read some research since that said millennial generation is more like 80 million people. So even more significant. But what we're seeing is, is that a lot of housing units that were constructed in this country around the birth years of the baby boomers are exiting their useful life. Okay. But you mean the properties themselves the are properties, exiting. the bricks and mortar, the siding, the foundations, they're not good anymore. Yeah. And they're in locations that are not desirable to today's purchaser or today's renter. So you're seeing those exit use. Okay. And what we're having a hard time doing, which is why demand will stay strong, which is why supply will stay short. We're seeing that we have an inventory shortage because those units are not being replaced by builders. Land is at a premium. The The trend of the millennials is not to sprawl to suburbia. Okay. It's infill. It's, it's retraction city centers. Yeah. Right. Walkability. Walkability is huge. Walkability was not a thing 15 years ago. People didn't talk about it. It, the term probably did not exist. I mean, you can probably look that up right now. Uh, you know, it's probably an urban dictionary and, <laughs> and, and it was coined by so-and-so in 2007 or something. You know, here, here's what I'm trying to tell you, Gabe. Investors are going big. REITs and investment trusts and hedge funds institutional real estate investors like the ones we talked about that are buying instant offers from Zillow, which by the way, we got some breaking news on instant offers. I don't oh, know if you heard, no, I didn't. Okay. Test market three just got launched yesterday. Where is it? Phoenix. Okay. That's a good one. Phoenix. I mean, it's the same kind of market as Miami and Vegas. So we'll, we'll come pretty back to close that. to Vegas too. I mean, eh, it's not far. We'll, we'll come back to that. But, um, it's the same kind of thing that we talked about with instant offers, which is the institutional investor. Um, they're not only buying houses, they're constructing and purchasing apartment complexes throughout the United States. And they're driving what's known as the cap rate, right? Which is the very simplest form of evaluating real estate income producing investment. They're driving the acceptable cap rates down to, to 60% and 50% and even 40% of once acceptable levels. So a cap rate is kind of almost like a published number. It's so simple. It's like, what's your cap rate for Louisville? What's your cap rate for Chicago? Because the equation is so easy to do. The equation is very simple. Very simple. It's it's net operating income, you know, as compared to acquisition costs. Right. Okay. So basically, you know, a nine cap you used to hear is in essence, in its simplest form, a 9% rate of return with very simple. You don't take into account taxes, debt service, or any of that kind of stuff. But a nine cap. Okay, was an acceptable rate of return. That was good. You know, I talked to my dad. He wouldn't buy anything less than a 13. Well, that's really okay, good. Which is phenomenal. Okay, but now you're seeing four and five and six caps. 
Okay, four and five and six. And and ha- when when you take into account debt service, these are negative cash flow properties. Let me ask you something, Gabe. Even if you had a million dollars to put down as 20% down on a $5 million investment, okay, and the mortgage ended up being 50000 bucks a month, okay? A lot, right? That's huge, yeah. But your income was only $45,000 a month. Gross income. Yeah. So you're 5000 in the hole before you start. And then, oh, so-and-so doesn't pay their rent, and so-and-so doesn't pay their rent, and you got to replace a furnace in this unit, and you got to put a new roof on the building. Yeah, it wouldn't make any sense. Well, the investment is still turning a positive rate of return. It's still appreciating in value, even. Okay? But can you afford that investment? It's a little can, pricey can, for can, me. Can, can I afford that investment? Can most people afford that investment? No. no. But hedge funds can. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, so that's a new normal. And... What it's doing is driving up the price of rents, which is another reason why winter's coming. There you go. Well, that might answer the next question I was going to ask you. I was going to say, where is the most significant change to the market we're going to see happen? Do you think that's in real estate investing? Gabe, that's a good question. It's significant. There is a significant shift in real estate investment happening right now. The country at large is shifting towards more investor-owned than it is owner-occupant-owned. Okay, so a few years ago, it became 5149. But you step back two decades, and that number was more like 6535 in favor of owner occupants. So we were, as a nation, 65% homeowners 20 years ago. Okay. Today, we're 49% homeowners. That's a pretty decent size jump. Okay, to consider that housing comprises 25% or better of our GDP in the United States and we're trending downward in home ownership? Seems kind of strange, right? Right. Okay, so basically, big, big, big business is getting into real estate investing. Well, for our listeners that aren't big, big, big business, it's probably going to be important that we talk about strategies for getting out ahead of this changing market. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about when we come back from the break. We'll be right back. All right. So we're back. And what I want to talk about now is what what does it look like for someone, like you said, that's not a big business and doesn't have the ability to, you know, just kind of have their pick and choose of what's out there for agents that are on teams or in smaller businesses? What kind of things can they do to make sure that they are just as successful in a downturned market as they are in the market room right now? I mean, that's a great question, Gabe. Here's what I'll tell you. When when the market turns downward, sales go away, so agents go away. Right. You know, we talk about Gary Keller in his book, The Shift. He illustrated that both consumers and agents lag the market, okay? And, and how to spot a shift was basically what the entire book was about. And it's a fantastic read, um, Shift by Gary Keller. Um, and I think Jay Papasan was his co-writer on that one as well. I- anyway, when... When you spot a shift, you prepare for it. So if you're if you're running a real estate business, you don't want long term uh, expenses. You don't want long term expenses. You don't want contracts, you, marketing contracts, you know, service contracts. You want to get lean really quickly. You want to invest in sweat versus check equity type lead generation activities and conversion activities. You, you want contracts 
that. So Zillow just went to market-based pricing. It's phenomenal for agents in a shifting market because you can get in and out on a monthly basis based right. on how your business is doing, you know, what your demands are. So that's a good, good thing to prepare for. Another thing that you really should do when the things are going well is save money. Well, that, yeah, just save. It's very simple, right? Save and pay off debt when the market is really well. You don't need to look the biggest mistake that agents make in real estate is they build a lifestyle around a $500,000 a year income when they're on the coast and they're, you know, selling 15 houses and making 500 grand a year or, or even fewer homes that that market goes away. You can't build a lifestyle around a half a million dollar a year income. That's not going to be there every single year. You're not a salaried person. You can build your business and you can make good money in a down market, but don't live outside your means. That's number one. Number, or I guess that's number two. Number three would be invest in real estate, invest in what you know. Don't give your money to the stock market. Now, we've talked about Grant Cardone once on yeah. this podcast. He loves real estate investing, but he is is an offshoot of the point I made earlier about big business getting into real estate investing. He's attempting to mimic what the big businesses are doing. He's pooling money. If you listen to any of his content, he's always asking for you to give him money to pool and participate on his investments. He's acting as a real estate investment trust. Yeah. Okay. So you can't compete. You, one person, unless you're independently wealthy, can't compete with the collective. So where do you go? You go into smaller assets that turn higher rates of return you don't buy an apartment building at a 7% return. You buy a house at a 13% return. And then you buy another house. And then you buy another house. And then you buy another house. I think that's real good advice, too, because a lot of agents are tired of hearing, you know, what do I do? I really want some tips on how to make sure that I last in every market. And everyone says, call more expireds and, you know, make sure you're calling for sale by owners. And that stuff's good. Like you said, doing the trademark things. But expireds don't matter when no listings are selling. Right. I could have had all the listings I wanted in 2008, but it didn't matter. I didn't need listings things I needed buyers. Otherwise they just sit there, right? They just sit there and you get a bunch of angry people. Like I had five angry sellers because I had five listings that never showed a single time. It's because the sky was falling. Like you've, have you, have you seen the movies that, you know, like, like the big short and oh, yeah. some of those? And I, I mean, mean, I was around, I just wasn't in real estate. You wasn't, you weren't I in real estate. I wasn't paying attention. You weren't paying its close attention. You don't need to call expireds or for sale by owners. Like for sale by owners, find you in a market like 2008. Because they hope you have an answer. So what I'm advocating is, is, that, is that you shore up your expenses, right? Batten down the hatches, right? Get ready for winter. Put on your winter coat, Gabe. Yeah. Get rid of your, your superfluous expenses. You focus on sweat versus check equity, Okay. And then you invest in real estate because when houses don't sell, they sure do rent. There you go. Well, and this leads me to another point. When you're talking about get rid of superfluous expenses, agents have expenses associated, but you know who really has expenses? It's team leaders and brokers and people that have people in their employ. So let's be hypothetical. Say I'm a, a team leader that in the midst of this good market, I'm in the process of forming a team and I've got young promising agents underneath me. If the market starts to turn and I've got mouths to feed, so to speak. What can I do? I have to downsize and start chopping people off, or what? What can I do to keep growing my team in the midst of a market like that? Maybe you do. Maybe lean I do. And, lean cut. and mean. Okay. 
you may have you may have to let people go. That's that that's the reality, Gabe. I'm secretly asking because I'm a member of your team and I'm trying to figure out what my future <laughs> looks like. If Gabe, the market weans those who aren't fit for it. Yeah, we always talk about when the ten percent, the bottom ten percent of the market goes away, the bottom ten percent of agents go away. That's true. That's true because the market, the bottom of the market is so spread out. I, I say this all the time. If you picture in your mind, you know, like an an X Y axis, and you you know, coming from the left to the right, it spikes in the middle and then steeply drops off back to flat again on the far right side. You you just don't. Lots of agents chew up lots of deals, but they only do one or two a piece. Like mm-hmm. our average transactions closed per agent in a good market is like eight. Like eight transactions on average, you can't eat. You can't eat on eight transactions. So when those transactions go away, the only ones left standing are the ones that are truly fit for the market. It's Darwinism. That's yeah. what it is. So yes, if you're a team leader, get lean and mean. You you get rid of lead gen. You you at least drastically that's a, that's a scary proposition. You at least drastically cut it back. I mean, it's the truth, Gabe. It's the truth about this business. And Anyone telling you otherwise is trying to profit from you lagging the market or getting out of it. It's true. Well, and this leads to another thing too. I saw a conversation on Facebook recently on a real estate page where people were talking about, you know, as a market goes, goes bad, so to speak, if a market starts to die off, some agents were talking about, I just put my license in escrow for a few years and pick up some other work. And, you know, and I just come back when it starts getting good again. Is that a good strategy? Or, I mean, you're talking about getting lean and mean. That's the, that's the definition. I quit when it's bad and I come back when it's good. Yeah. I mean, is that a good strategy or is it better to stay in through it all and develop the techniques that, that make you last? That person, if you don't have it built before the market, there are some people that are cut out for bad markets and some people that are only cut out for good markets. It's hard to generalize. I can't say the best strategy is stay in when it's bad and, you know, take your punishment and, you know, build thick skin and move forward. It's, it builds character. Yeah. It build, builds character. It, it, having to make it in 08 and 09. It will definitely teach you lessons. I was poised to do what we've done coming out of the Great Recession because of the fact that we were strong within the recession. We found niche markets, bank foreclosure, liquidation, rental property, helping investors acquire and liquidate assets. We found those avenues, which left us strong, which meant instead of lagging the market the way Gary Keller says, we were out in front. We were profiting from the spike that happened before others got back in the business. You know, we might have even talked about this, Gabe. 18 months is the cycle that the the agent typically lags. So if it takes 18 months for them to figure out it's it's not bad anymore. Yeah, so there's 18 months of opportunity. But there's consequently 18 months of really bad times before they figure out it's time to get out. Yeah, that's the opposite reaction. That's the opposite reaction, the equal and opposite. Yeah. So I, go go back to my point number 3. Buy income producing real estate, use your inside knowledge to acquire Make positive cash flow, leverage appropriately where required, save money. And basically what you're doing with every dollar of positive cash flow on a piece of real estate investment, you're, 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 you're replacing one commission dollar. 
Think of it like that. If you own 10 rentals that cash flow, you know, $300 a piece, well, that's $3,000. Now I'm not telling you to live on that. I'm not telling you to go buy a Ferrari because you know that your mortgage is going to be paid by your rental property. Right. But if push comes to shove, you got $3,000 in positive cash flow on rental property. So. That can cover expenses, that can pay your mortgage, that can put gas in your car. Exactly. And that goes back to what you said about don't live outside your means. That's it. It's very simple. I, one thing I don't want this show to be, Gabe, is blowing hot air. Sure. Pretending to know something that no one else can possibly understand. Yeah. This is the real talk about real estate. It's real talk, which means sometimes it's real simple. Mm-hmm. And it's not comfortable all the time either. It's not comfortable. The truth is most agents can't save a lick. Yeah. They don't save anything. That's Americans in general, according to some reports. Oh, this is true. So it pays to be a contrarian. There you go. Well, and speaking of not blowing hot air, I want to go ahead and bust another myth now. Also online, I see some people talking about how the industry could take steps to change what's happening in the market and prevent these bad markets from happening do you think it's more important to focus on what you do as the individual to withstand, or should we be throwing our efforts at influencing the market in general? It's a free market, Gabe. It's going to do what it's going to do. It's going to do what it's going to do. And monetary policy that comes down from federal government has influence. Deregulations or adding of regulations has an effect on the availability of money, the supply of money. And liquidity and what from the top down people use to finance real estate transactions. And what I can say is you can lobby, you can kick and scream, you can write letters and you can put angry posts on your favorite social media, but you are not going to change the market one person. And I think it's worth remembering too, that the last time people tried to make the market do unnatural things that it wasn't going to do on its own, like writing bad mortgages I think we all know what happened after that. So maybe let the market do what it's going to do instead of trying to influence it. That's a pigs get fat, but hogs get slaughtered. Yeah. You know, analogy there. Sorry for the, for the whole country. This is our second farm animal analogy. <laughs> you know, maybe that's a trend with the show. But no, it, you, can't, you can't influence the market, Gabe. Focus on you. Right. Focus on you. Cry foul. It gets you nowhere. Well, speaking of 2008... Are we ever going to see something, a monumental event like that again? I know you can't predict the future. I've, we've talked about the crystal ball, but you think we're, we should be arming ourselves for another event like that in the future? That's a, gr- that's a really, really good question, Gabe. And the, the direct answer is no, we'll never see that again. Okay. But, but the reason is that we will see something different, hopefully not as catastrophic. Right. I mean, you, you, I really think having lived through it, being, party to some conversations and some communications from some of these large institutions that were in the thick of it, Bank of America and, you know, Chase and some of these nation's largest lenders and owners of mortgage-backed securities in the midst of all of that, okay, and being party to some of that communication, liquidating properties for them and watching this happen, what I can tell you is they're just normal people. It's large institutions comprised of normal people. Normal people are subject to make bad decisions. I hope we don't have the same problem. I hope we are better and we learn from our mistakes. No, I think the lessons were learned, like you said. The lessons were learned, but they're often 
Similar lessons, well, the lessons were learned, but the same issues are often repeated. History has a has a knack for repeating itself, it is do- what people say. It does. So I can tell you this right now, and if, if you um, – I did a little bit of research because I was intrigued by the end of the big short when they say, you know, essentially CDOs and, uh, you know, the – mortgage-backed security like insurance policies that were sold were the 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 single instrument that basically crippled the worldwide financial markets and at the very end you know how they run the 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 like where are they now kind of sure. stuff at the end of movies sometimes and they showed all the big shorts and what what they did and how yeah, they yeah. are and you know the one guy got audited four times by the IRS <laughs> but at the very end they said that a few of them the mortgage banks have started to introduce eerily similar products starting in 2015. One's called a a bespoke tranche opportunity, which is like in essence, like a CDO. Okay. It's basically a CDO, um, which is a collateralized debt obligation, which anyway, point, point being it's an insurance policy on bad loans. I hope we don't make those same mistakes and I don't think we'll make the exact same ones, but we will make some similar. I just hope, we absolutely will make some similar, and I hope they're just not as catastrophic next time. you have any indication at all of how far out you think that is, too? I think I think there are too many things at play there to really say. I think a serious uh, foreign conflict, you know, surrounding – I'm, I'm a little – I'm a little bit intrigued by this whole North Korea thing and, you know, nuclear armament and that kind of stuff. It, That can kick off. You know, a lot of people say that the mortgage crisis was set in motion by 9-11. I don't know if you know that. Um, There's not a real clear connection there, but I guess chain of events. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, it's not a clear connection, but it's a a pretty pretty closely held chain of events. So you had deregulation from the late Clinton years, continued by the early Bush years, then a really serious – terror attack that sent our markets spinning, which caused Bush to double down on deregulation to prop up the economy through housing. I start to see it now, which led to bad loans being made. Sure. Okay. Like I was making mortgage loans to people in 2004, looking around like, what are we doing? (laughs) What are we doing right now? We know this person can't pay this, right? Yeah. Like stated income, what stated income? He can. Well, we're just going to let them tell us what they make. There you go. We're just going to take their word for it. And with a 620 credit score, what? <laughs> anyway, I hope we don't make the same mistakes, Gabe. I don't think we'll ever see a 2008 again because it nearly crippled the world's economy. Okay, so we should be able to sleep at night. I mean, it doesn't sound like we're. it's all going to fall apart right away. No, so. things, things are good, Gabe, and they're going to be good for a little while. Good deal. Okay, just don't go too far. Sure. That's it. All things in moderation. That's about all the time we've got for today. But when we come back next time, we're going to try something new. We've got a couple folks lined up that would like to be guests here on the show. Some some real movers and shakers in the real estate world that have really valuable insights to bring us. So maybe maybe next week we have somebody that's going to... Wait on confirmation. Just we'll see. We'll see. But definitely stick around and make sure that you're here next time because we're going to have some great people on, on the show to uh, share their opinions with us. So... so- the topic for next week, Gabe. Oh, yeah. Hit me. Topic. The proliferation of teams throughout the real estate space. Right. We touched on a little bit. Movers and shakers. Influencers. We're going to talk about the minion model. 
The minion model. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. A little Despicable Me. We like to keep it topical here. Okay. I took my son to see Despicable Me 3 for his for his fifth birthday. Okay. So we're going to talk about the minion model. You know, the little cute guys. Oh, yeah. Definitely. The little cute yeah. yellow guys. So, but uh, what does that have to do with real estate? Well, you'll have to wait and find out. Okay. You'll have to wait and find out. So stay tuned, guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, in the meantime, please, please check us out wherever we're listed. iTunes, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or go visit our website. Oh, yeah, that's right. You can head to resourcepodcast.net. All of our previous episodes are there with a few more details, some links to some some related information to some of the stuff we've talked about. And of course, there's ways for you to subscribe and make sure that you're getting all of our latest content. Absolutely. Subscribe, people. We would love to get your feedback. All right. That's it for Resource Today. Join us next time. We'll be back. Thanks. Thanks.